I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This week we have a very special edition um, in that it is covering a topical issue that's affecting so many of our lives at this current time. If you are listening to this episode not long after it's been published in March 2022, you'll be aware of the multiple sources of um, collective trauma playing out in the world today. Close to home, many have been affected by the recent floods in Eastern Australia and globally, so many of us um, are continuing to parent through a global pandemic that I think it's fair to say we never expected to last as long as it has. Add to that the terrible events unfolding in the Ukraine and the fatigue and anxiety that so many of us feel in processing the news cycles covering these events, and you've got a considerable weight resting on our minds and our hearts at the moment. With that in mind, we wanted to put together a special episode for the podcast that felt hopeful and empowering for parents at this time, and actually at any time, because if you are listening to this sometime in the future, which I can't even begin to predict what will be happening then, the fact is that events like natural disasters, illnesses, and challenging human experiences are going to continue to crop up. So today I want to have a conversation about how we as parents, caregivers, educators, anyone working with young children too, uh, can support kids through these types of events, manage the conversations around tricky topics that come up and help kids if they're feeling anxious or worried about them. I want to leave you with some practical tips and strategies that you can use in your own homes and feel empowered to use them um, with your children. Now that, of course, is a big conversation, and so I am thrilled to be joined today by my special guest, Melissa DiPietro, to help me tackle it. Melissa is a psychologist who has over 10 years of experience working with children and adolescents in both school settings but also private practice. She is the director of Honeybee Psychology, which she launched to support children and foster better educational outcomes for them during the early childhood years. For our little ones, that means through the support of their parents and educators. At home, Melissa is mama of two gorgeous young kids too, so she is living and breathing this work every day. Who better to have this conversation with, right, than with you? So welcome, Melissa. 
Thank you, Jackie. Thanks so much for inviting me on today. Oh, I'm thrilled you could join me for this conversation. Now, I guess I should check. I did a little introduction there, which you heard, um, I guess, sort of covering your professional career and, and your interests. Is there anything that I missed, anything that you want to talk about, maybe particular areas that you're passionate about, just so people can get a feel for, for the work that you do? Yeah, and I think really relevant to this topic today, um, as part of my role in schools, um, I do respond to the critical incidents that occur across the schools in the areas I work in um, and have taken, I guess, a particular interest over the years in working in schools, in being able to support um, both, you know, school setting and families around natural disasters. So, have mm-hmm. you know, spent a bit of extra time um, being part of some, you know, disaster resilient type networks. Um, currently in a lovely one with some amazing, um, amazing women called Women in Disasters, um, where I continue to do that learning and, and share that, you know, contribution to that, that particular field of, of natural disasters and and how we support both um, educators and, and family and children in that space. Oh. That's actually incredible because when I invited you to come on, because obviously I follow your work and, um, you know, we've had many conversations since we first connected, I actually wasn't even aware that that was something you were doing. So it's even more relevant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Agreed. That's why definitely when I saw um, the opportunity, I guess, with Honeybee to share some of that knowledge um, on that platform as well and being able to share with, um, you know, I guess that the Instagram community and the, the, the supporters we have there is it was yeah good opportunity to kind of share some of that knowledge and content. You know, while a lot of families are, like you said, you know, seeing a lot of heartbreaking news stories and, and living it, you know, particularly in New South Wales and Queensland at the moment. Mm, absolutely. Um, so in light of that, as you've touched on there, there's, there is a lot going on in the world at the moment, both close to home and afar. But I think, you know, in the way that those far off events, for example, what's happening in Europe at the moment, have a way of seeping into our homes through the news, through social media, through conversations our kids are perhaps overhearing or even having, you know, with their peers, maybe from a place of not really understanding. So I know you recently shared and and talked about five amazing tips that you had, really practical things that we can take away um, to support our kids through instances like this. Can you perhaps, let's kick it off, share with us the first of these five tips. Yeah, beautiful. So the first I think that's really important is to to pause and make sense of the event ourselves as the adults in the children's lives. So we really do need to make sense of it ourselves, take the time to, you know, think about, what our take is on it, um, you know, that time to do some of that self-reflection because then, you know, we do at times if we then ask the question, you know, what, what's, what's war? I'm hearing war, mum. Or, um, you know, what does, what's, what does it mean when there's a big flood like that? If we haven't sort of taken that time to process some of that information ourselves, we are then on the spot and can seem flustered or nervous in that moment when we're trying to respond to our children and they feel yeah. that. And then it sort of brings about, you know, that bit of uncertainty around, well, what does this mean? You know, watching, you know, mum or dad's reaction um, to that response. So taking that time to make sense of it and having those conversations with the people that we care and and love as well so that we can then, you know, have the that time to collect our thoughts and talk about, you know, if we were asked this question or how do we bring up this topic? Because like you said, these conversations are likely happening um, in the school ground, you know, particularly, uh, you know, when we're thinking grade three onwards, um, mm-hmm. you know, and our, our older, you know, even our teenagers, they're, they're having these conversations and how do we, you know, even if they're not bringing it up to us, it's, you know, thinking about, well, let's reflect on our thoughts and then raise it with them. You know, what are you hearing? What do you know? Um, so that we're checking in if they've got any questions and that we can be that person that they're able to share their concerns with if need be. 
Yes, yes. I love that advice because I think there's such value in kind of getting ahead of these things where possible. I mean, life, sometimes they're going to crop up in the car on the way home and we feel unprepared. But (laughs) I think we raise a great um, suggestion here in that if we can spend a bit of time processing our own feelings, which are likely complex and um, emotionally driven too about them, and in particular um, with our partners or anyone that's involved in, in raising our kids too, because I think it's really nice when we can come at it from a united front. Yes. How unsettling to to speak to mum about something only to have dad or the grandparents or whoever else, the nanny, um, offer a really different or um, jarring perspective. So I love that that suggestion of having those moments of reflection and those conversations ahead of time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you think you touched on something there? You said um, that it's we can actually approach our kids and ask them about it. Is that something that you – would suggest parents are doing? I, I think yes. And look, it certainly ties into my other topics or my other tips around um, how we do that in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. But I think, yes, I think let's not be afraid to ask the question. And, you know, like I, so I have a, a six-year-old who's in grade one um, here in Victoria. And I, I asked her, have you been hearing any information or conversations at school about, um, and I use the term war because I do, you know, it is something that they do hear and understand their version of anyway mm-hmm. um, that's occurring in Ukraine. Um, and she was able to say, no, don't know anything about it. And that was, and that was it. So we didn't have to, you know, go any further, but, you know, then, uh, you know, I know one of my um, friends recently said to me that her little one did, you know, come to her and say, you know, he's only grade one as well. And did say, I you know have questions about the war in Ukraine. So it's, you know, they may or may not be, but there's no harm in asking. And I think that we would, you know, particularly as they are, as I said, going into that more um, senior primary and in secondary school, that we would presume that they are aware. And, you know, they would, I also think in, in school that they are discussing this, even from the teachers, they would be, you know, potentially watching things like behind the news or, you know, having those topics raised at school as well in a reflective and thoughtful way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think that's comforting for parents to know because often it can be tricky to like, well, we won't we bring it up and parents are unsure whether it's appropriate or the right thing to do, in inverted commas, um, to bring up these conversations. But I love I love your suggestion of, yeah, we can bring it up, obviously in an age-appropriate way, and we'll, we'll come to that with one of the yep. other tips. Um, but, yeah, I think not being afraid to have these conversations because – um, I always like to think I prefer them to be having the conversation with me than with somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. 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 100%. Okay. Fantastic. All right. So uh, tip number two. Yes. So tip number two was starting the conversation where your child is at. So this is where it really fits into what I was saying um, just then as well, because we're thinking about, um, you know, at times a a child will ask us a question um, and we'll sort of think about all of the complexities of that answer and potentially overshare information that really they wanted a very simple answer to. Um, So so good to use that. Yes. (laughs) So sometimes it is about really doing that checking, like taking that pause and saying to them, oh, what do you understand about, you know, this topic? And then, you know, really asking them, what do you want to know? So you're really being guided by their point of start, like their starting point and really then matching the information that you share to that level. So we're not then oversharing, you know, complex information or things that they really had no idea about when they asked, you know, so many words you know, are very loaded when we hear them and we, you know, link it to so many things. Whereas, you know, children are still really learning in that space and trying to make sense of it all. So, um, you know, really starting where they're at. 
Mm, that is so helpful. So you mentioned the strategy of rather than jumping in or even just assuming um, their level of understanding or conversations have had, to ask them, what was the word you used? You said, what do you know about the topic? Yep. Is yep. that what, what you suggest? You know? yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. What's your understanding? You know, what's your understanding of that or what do you know about that topic? Yeah. Yeah. I think that can be a really nice way to kick it off too if you're sort of unsure and you don't want to, um, like you say, bowl in with a more complex or detailed level than perhaps is appropriate, just la- allowing them the space to kind of, you know, open up or talk about it or just reflect, you know, as they think in real time is a really nice way to, to get the ball rolling on this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. So we've talked about... Take the time to make sense of what's going on yourself and to process your own thoughts and feelings and ideally in a perfect scenario to put a bit of pre-thought into how you would tackle certain conversations with your child. You then said to start the conversations where your child is at. So number three. And number three, closely related again, but really providing honest information to children adapted to their age and developmental stage. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, this really, I feel like we would give this advice in so many different contexts um, when we're supporting families. You know, there's so many tricky conversations that we can have, whether it is about grief and loss or, um, you know, things that are, you know, hard conversations to have. And, and parents are often unsure how much, you know, what do you say? What wording do you use? Um, you know, and I think being honest is always is really key um, and I think that we need to you know I guess have that 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 chance to say to kids that this is um, this is what my understanding and this is where making sense of it yourself and we know sometimes with the complex situations like for example the conflict in Ukraine we don't know there's a lot that we don't know and the situation can change or even with the pandemic we, there was so much unknown and uncertainty but we can be honest with what our understanding is now um, to give them, you know, some of that reassurance around, you know, this is this is what we we what we understand, and 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 being able to pitch it really to their stage of development. So once again, not too much information, and and keeping it simple where we can. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, yeah, I love that advice. So if parents were sort of unsure about potentially what level of detail to go into, um, how come how can we gauge that? I guess it's, it varies so much, of course, per child, per family, and the individual in terms of their level of understanding and whatnot. But have you got any suggestions for how, how they could sort of pitch things appropriately? Say, maybe let's talk broadly, say for like a young primary school age student versus an older primary school age student. Yeah, look, I think um, what I spoke about before, like really asking them to give you suggestions around what they want to know. I think where we can, you know, particularly for our younger ones, you know, we, we talk about kind of matching, you know, sharing some information and matching that where we can with some reassurance. Um, And then where we can do that, think about how we can do that in a way that, um, you know, like I've heard um, a lovely strategy, particularly thinking about the Ukraine again, that maybe we could talk to kids about, you know, but we are safe. You know, we can never guarantee or reassure 100% safety, but we are in Australia, we are safe here. 
and let's look at, you know, a globe, for example, and see where Australia is positioned in comparison to Russia and Ukraine and things and being able to give them a visual um, so that it's, you know, age, an age-appropriate way to kind of show them this is this is what's happening and how far away we are from that right now. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, even showing, you know, with what's happening, you know, here in Victoria, we would might be saying, look, you know, this is where Queensland and where all these things are happening or, you know, all of that understanding of, um, you know, what's, what's where like we're giving some of that reassurance around what's safe and things for them as well um, yeah that is actually really i haven't heard that particular strategy before but i i'm actually yeah pondering that i think that's beautiful because there's all of this like assumed knowledge as us as adults and you know as we talk about things um we're not always aware of the level of understanding our kids have so to us as adults we you know have a comprehension of how big the globe is and where yeah. we're located but kids i mean they might as well be in Mars or, you know, or potentially even an hour away from them. They wouldn't yeah. have that reference or that point of reference necessarily that we'd have. Yeah. So just yeah. sort of thinking about different ways we can make the information make sense to them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, relating it to things that they know and understand, you know, the way we would with any learning um, of new things. And certainly the other thing I think um, – particularly with natural disasters, is the use of, you know, there is a wonderful picture books and things like that available that can be helpful in being able to understand as well. So I think I mentioned um, the Birdie Stories, uh-huh. um, which is by the Queensland um, government created those um, picture books and they are absolutely gorgeous way. They've got all different topics from, you know, obviously covering things like the floods but also um, storms um, bushfires they've even got one about the pandemic okay. um, and it's a beautiful um, you know really pitched at that early childhood and um, primary age children to help them understand and make sense of what it is when you're impacted by these things whether it's um, you know seeing things or hearing things and wanting to understand what does it mean for others if you're not in the in the natural disaster or experiencing it but certainly for children who are you know managing and in it as well to understand um you know what what does it mean and and how do we support some of that recovery as well yes yeah okay i'll be sure to link to that um series in the show notes so if anyone's interested in checking them out they can click straight through because i love the strategy of using books i think this yeah. often is like well i know for me personally it's a go-to agree um, <laughs> just opens up conversations and um yeah it just it's such a wonderful sort of connective way to explore these tricky topics if you've got children young children um it actually reminds me of can look at that because my boys at the moment are going through a phase where they recently discovered tsunamis. I think one of them yep. was learning about them at school. And so now there's a lot of questions for them around, you know, is a tsunami going to come to our house and do we need to be worried when we go to the beach on the weekend? Yep. And again, it sort of struck me that um, in their young lives, they wouldn't have the context or the life experience to know yep. that that isn't a direct threat where we live anyway. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's so that's a really helpful tip. Agreed, and yeah, even um, you know having a look yourself first. I always think you know watch and read and do all those things first before you present them. But there's even some beautiful educational, like on YouTube, for example, videos that that are you know pitched once again to um, you know to children's age that you might be able to say, okay, let's you know have a look at it first make sure you're happy with it and then sit down and say okay you know this is something you want to learn a little bit more about um you know I know certainly even um once again here in Melbourne we had the the earthquake towards the end of last yes. year or, I don't know it's all a bit 
bit of a blur because of last year. But at some point last year, we had the earthquake. Um, and you know, it really prompted, same thing, my daughter to ask so many questions about earthquakes and, and want to learn more about it. And we did do, you know, take that bit, that educational type perspective as well and, and went through some videos with her and spoke to her about what they are and, and you know, learn about because, you know, we know like anything, the more prepared we are, the less anxious we are about um, any of these kind of natural disasters in particular. Um, yes. So if we know what our safety plan is, um, and even for kids to feel empowered, have voice in that plan, know what to do, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, obviously the likelihood of that occurring again is very small here in Melbourne, but we, we were able to still look at what is, what do we do with an earthquake and let's know, you know, what to do so that it does feel make us all feel more confident and safe as well yes yes i think that talks exactly to um, a question i've been asked a number of times before from parents who whose children perhaps are anxious about something say the earthquake because that's completely understandable and and topical as you mentioned for anyone that lives um, where you are is that they the natural reaction sometimes is to want to shut it down to say to the child you don't need to worry about that or that was a freak thing it won't happen again don't worry about it because you know from a good place, wanting to reassure the child and not have them, you know, become anxious about something. But I actually think often it's the opposite. It's indulging these conversations and being, I'm not even indulging, that's the wrong word, but being available for these conversations and allowing them, as you said, to be a part of of problem solving or forming, you know, solutions, safety plans is is far more productive when we're looking to dissipate anxiety. Agreed. And look, that's a lot of the research in that disaster resilience space around like what we do in our schools for our children um, certainly supports that. Like the more we are prepared and um, have these conversations with our kids, um, you know, the the better the outcomes and the less anxious that that children will feel. Um, And, you know, even in looking at how the recovery occurs, um, certainly that correlation between the more prepared we are and aware and, um, and, and have some really structured plans. Like I always think about the way we would, you know, we would never expect um, a paramedic to go into a situation without a plan. And the reason they can mm. remain so calm is because they know they know their plan and they know that, you know, it's very structured and they know what to do. So the more prepared we are and that we've put that thought into what to do, particularly, um, you know, I mean, what's happened, um, like you said, on the East Coast at the moment in Australia is unprecedented and so unexpected and no one could have planned for that level. But certainly having plans in place, you um, is is really helpful and, and and allowing our kids to have a voice in that let not shielding them thinking that oh that's too scary to talk to them about that no they they can feel really empowered because then they're just as part of it um yeah and i think so much there was like this there was a, a whole nar- narrative i guess around that the kids are fine when they're really mm-hmm. little but we know mm-hmm. that that's you know that's not true and that the more we are they're involved in these things and involved in the recovery process um mm-hmm. is is really key yeah, that's so reassuring that the research, as you mentioned, as you know all the research, um, it supports that. I think that's so empowering for parents. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. So number three, just to recap, was to be conscious of providing children with accurate information, so not telling, you know, um, sugarcoating or telling untruths. Yeah. Um, so accurate, correct information but adapted to their age and developmental stage. Perfect. Love it. Okay. So moving on to number four. Number four is around our exposure to media and particularly um, the news. 
Um, I'd say for our little, littlest ones, there is just no, like, I think there's no need for any news exposure. I think, um, you know, our preschoolers um, be really aware and mindful of what you have on in the background with the TV. Of course, as um, the adults in the house, we do want to know what's going on in the world, um, but we can do that um, when they're not, they're not in the room to see what's happening on the TV, even just the background images at times are so confronting and I think our little ones just don't need exposure to that. So being really aware of what they're hearing and seeing what conversations you're having in front of your children, particularly for those little ones. Um, And then I think as they start to go into that primary age and certainly for secondary, then really modelling that we can take breaks from what we are exposed to in the media as well because um, you know often when we are seeing some of these heartbreaking news stories it can feel like we don't care if we just need to switch off or distract ourselves from it but reminding children that you know it doesn't mean you don't care um, but we do need to protect ourselves as well and have that you know we don't we don't want to continue seeing you know the repeated images and and hearing the repeated stories on the news and the impact that can have and look I think a lot of people can can understand, you know, how many people were tracing or following along to, you know, the numbers each day in, in our yes. pandemic and all of those things and the level of anxiety that can bring about when we're having too much exposure to the media. Absolutely. I actually read a study, um, and I'm not going to be able to reference it because it was a while ago now, but the gist of it was um, it was a study done to investigate the, the impact basically of this 24-hour news cycle that we have yeah. in, in this day. And so if you think about it, our grandparents, they used to get their news when they sat down to watch the six o'clock news at night. (laughs) And so it was that half an hour snapshot that informed them and then life went on. Whereas now we are all tapping into that news cycle, whether you get your news from, um, you know, a traditional news outlet or Instagram, social media, wherever you get it. Um, And it's just so accessible. And I think it can be easy to forget or to become unconscious to the huge impact that has yes. on us and our children, of course. Too. I agree. Yeah. And the other thing I think is really helpful is as they as they are going into like those more senior primary, um, secondary, and I know these conversations happen in schools, but we can be having them at home as well about educating children around the way media uses images and and how they do try to grab attention as well so that um, they can start understanding why we're seeing, you know, repeated horrible images or you know even understanding um at times you know the media will do things like show you know these floods have obviously happened now they might talk about these floods in you know some another you know something that happens in six months time and they'll use images from these floods because of how horrendous they were and not and your children see that and think it's happening all again and not having that understanding that it is you know that's a a previous image that they're using and it's not current um you know i know um a colleague was talking to me about some research that they did around s11 and children seeing those horrible images of the towers falling down and thinking that they were ha- that was happening again and again and not realizing that was the one tower that you know all the two towers that went down in that one event not that it was reoccurring day after day so yeah. you know the you know the impact of what they're seeing and being able to empower children around the way media uses videos and images as they grow older is i think really important as well yeah, this is actually something I hadn't considered or hadn't thought about in this context, but it's so valuable, that media literacy, that understanding um, and, and talking to our kids about that I think is, is an incredible suggestion. So thanks for sharing that. I love that. No um, okay, so important, yep, having breaks 
from news, the awareness of the news and news cycles and our own consumption. I just wanted to quickly highlight um, that step a moment. You touched on having news on in the background and I think yeah. this is something that can be so innocent because, um, you know, as adults we kind of have this ability to tune out from that sort of um, input and, you know, tune in when it's something that we want to hear. So it's not uncommon for people to have the radio on or that, the TV with, you know, the sound turned down like you said. Um, but something I've definitely learned too is that even if our children are playing or seemingly not engaged with, with whatever the media form is, there is every chance that they are actually picking up on all of it. So yes. I think it's just useful to know and, and not to assume that just because they're not sitting on the couch staring at the TV that they are they are still very much consuming passage yeah. too. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so that brings us to number five, your last, yes. last suggestion in terms of this series. Yes, and look, I think a a lovely one to end on, which is building hope and um, that sense of agency. So reminding children um, of ways that they have control over um, these situations, even when, um, you know, they are really sad and heartbreaking things to be, you know, either experiencing or um, to be seeing others to be experiencing. Um, They can still have that sense of agency or that ability to have some control as well. And that we know, once again, research really supports them all. Um, they feel like that children feel empowered or that they were able to contribute to, um, you know, relief and support and aid in some way. It can, um, you know, really help their um, making sense of and recovery as well. So, um, you know, certainly thinking about, you know, I know you can look for the, like often just doing simple things like looking for the helpers and the, and the way our community rallies together in these um, types of things, particularly with natural disasters, um, is beautiful to witness that good in humanity and, and all those wonderful things that um, we can see as well. So, focusing on that and as well as then going, okay, well, what are we doing as a country? Like talking to them about what Australia is doing to contribute and support, um, you know, when natural disasters occur and, you know, what's happening in Ukraine, et cetera. Um, And also then bringing it really back to what they can do individually. So, you know, let's think of ways that we as a family that you um, can share, you know, and and do something. So you're taking some action um, in this process too. So, you know, whether it is about, um, supporting with you know you know if you were in somewhere in Queensland and New South Wales where you might be supporting with some donations or clean up or whatever it might be um and you know certainly even from here in Victoria we spoke about you know helping finding a, a somewhere we could do some donations to and feeling like we're contributing and supporting in some way mm, so actively involving them in those actions yeah definitely yeah yeah so empowering I think for kids and I love that quote you touched on it about I think it was Fred Rogers who said his mum taught him to always look for the helpers. And I know yes. my own reaction, you know, when things are traumatic or overwhelming or anxiety-inducing, that is, is such a lovely strategy. So I think it's great to talk to our kids about that too. Yes. To say, even through all of these really tricky things, you know, I heard a story about, oh, like, actually, this is a real example. I saw um, that the mothers had placed, like, yes. there was a big lineup of all the prams. Did you see that powerful yes, image? Gorgeous. Yes, yes. Well, for mothers who had left them for refugees or people who were coming in seeking um, seeking support, they left these empty prams so the mothers would have them to, to carry the infants in. And I thought, oh, it was just so heart heartening amongst all the awful images that we see too. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah, we, need, so. we need it as well. So not just for our kids. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> all right. So thank you. Those five tips. I mean, that is a broad range of things and things to be considering, but also doing. So yeah. I love that you've been able to share those today. Um, 
Is there anything we missed, Mel? Well, the only thing we we always, and I feel like this is often our um, go-to to finish these kind of things, but it is so <laughs> important and always has to mention, which is um, self-care and thinking about your own um, ways that, you know, it, it is we need to think about how we're filling up our cup and taking time to, um, you know, have that, those reflective conversations and, and get that support ourselves because it can it can be a lot and we know that we want to um, be those the rock for our kids in these kind of things, but we need to be in order to do that and to stay regulated ourselves and provide that that support for our kids. We need to be thinking about our well being and, and how we're doing that. So super important, can't ever be forgotten. It's it's yeah, we need to be looking after ourselves. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree that that needs to be primary um, concern, not just sort of an afterthought with all yeah. of this. So I, yeah. I actually, that's a, a perfect note to finish on. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, not finishing on. I'm not going to let you go without asking the question that I ask all of yes. our guests um, <laughs> that come onto the podcast, and that is: um, Has there been a book you've read that has changed you or um, impacted you really significantly in some way? And if there is, can you share what it is and, and why it was so? Okay. Um, I'm going to say um, The Whole Brain Child by Siegel and oh, Tina Payne Bison. And that's, I think, <laughs> I think because, um, I mean, the whole, I feel like that was one of the early, I read that many years ago now. And when I first read it, it was the first time I really started reflecting on the whole understanding the brain and neuroscience and how we can be giving that information to our children. So both as a psychologist, but with my mum hat on, I think, um, you know, starting with that book and then on my journey on that pathway, I think has changed so much of the way I parent um, and the way I now support parents as well. So I, yeah, I think I would say that one. <laughs> so personal and professional. Yeah. Then, yeah. I second that. I think I couldn't recommend that book highly enough yeah. to anyone, <laughs> anyone listening now go and <laughs> click yeah. on and order that book so great one. i'll link to it in the show notes too okay well this has been an amazing conversation i feel empowered listening to the strategies and i know that there's things i'll take away um and and use here in my own home too so i honestly from my heart thank you for coming on to share this information with us thank you um, jackie Mel, if people would like to connect with you further or follow you, where can they find you online? Yep. So um, on Instagram, Honeybee Psychology is um, my business there. So yeah, follow along there. Um, And I am providing consultation and professional learning for early childhood educators and things as well through that business. Yeah. Great. Brilliant. Okay. Honeybee Psychology, we'll link to that as well. All right, Mel, thank you again so much for your time. Lovely. Thanks, Jackie. Bye. Thanks for joining me and listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this content and are looking to dive deeper into the support that the Kind Parenting Company offers parents and caregivers, you will love the range of programs we have available. The range includes online programs for supporting baby and toddler sleep, most suitable for babies aged 0 to 24 months, and also Toddler Life, which is a guide for those raising children aged 2 to 4 years. Each program comes with access to video and audio files, as well as the opportunity to join the community forums. Podcast listeners receive 20% off all programs. Simply visit the Kind Parenting Company website and use the code KPCPODCAST20, that's KPCPODCAST20, at checkout. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 